0: Well, again, we are glad to be here, glad to get to, to start getting to know uh, you and uh, trying to learn names, but mostly just appreciative for the opportunity to be here. Um, we have looked forward to it. Um, appreciate the invitation. I hope that what we have to say this time, next time and remaining uh, nights this week will be, will be helpful. My plans are, are to do this, um, starting tomorrow night, Lord willing, with it's, We'll be starting like a series, and the series will be focused on Trust God. Trust God. So Monday night, plan to just talk about that, Trust God. And then Tuesday night, probably talk about Trust God with your home and your family, and then so on from from there. Friday night, um, I always say what times I've presented this. I've saved this for the end. It does have to do with trusting God, but it would be trusting God with your grief and loss. Uh, The most difficult one that I do, and that's why I save it. I save it for the end. So I hope the things we have to say, again, would be encouraging, be edifying. You know, Paul talked about that. Let all things be done for edification. So we certainly hope that that would be the case this week. I like to study things that not only have I not studied, but I have not heard a lesson about either and this is one of those things you may have but i know um personally i had not thought about studied about the idea the bible presents about wearing a crown crowns are used very often in scripture and and for a reason sometimes very practical sometimes a spiritual application and that of course is what we're uh, the most interested in And and so as we think about that, what we're going to do is briefly look at the usages of the word, um, and then at the end we'll make some application of that. Now, according to the uh, International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, the word crown in the Old Testament is a translation of five different Hebrew words, and in the New Testament, two different Greek words. These express uh, the several meanings and must be examined to ascertain the same. So when we see the word crown, it could be any number of words that, that the original language would have used. And each of those words would carry a different meaning. If we spoke those languages, we would just automatically know, oh, he's talking about this or talking about that. And probably uh, would also fit the context. Uh, that, that the word is used. And so let's just quickly go through those because I really want us to spend the most time talking about how, th- how these apply to us because that's, after all, I think the most important. One word, and don't ask me to pronounce all of these words. Some I may kind of know, but uh, don't know this one. But what it means is the crown of the head. And it's also rendered uh, in the King James top of the head, the scalp. So it, it literally has reference to that back part of the head. And so we may say the crown of the head. Uh, And so when we think about the word crown, we think about something on the head. But originally, it's part of the anatomy. Part of our anatomy is the crown um, of, of our head. And so that's where kind of the genesis of the put something on our head. We think about being crowned. One of the places you'll find this word is in Deuteronomy chapter 33 in verse 20. Blessed is he who enlarges Gad, he dwells as a lion and tears the arm and the crown of his head. Literally talking about the head. And so that's one of the words that's used. Another word is called zir; It means a chaplet. Something spread around the top as a molding about the border. And because of its wreath-like appearance called a crown. So here we have a Kind of a mixing of of words a little bit, because this word zer, or zer, means, again, a chaplet. But because of its wreath-like appearance, one of the words we'll see um, would be a wreath-type crown. It might be a literal, like, leaves formed to make a crown. It might be a gold, uh, some gold made to look like the leaves. But this one is more talking about the border, something that creates a border. Like in Exodus chapter 25, when you think about the Ark of the Covenant, here is part of the description of that. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold within and without. Shalt thou overlay it and shalt make upon it a crown of gold about, round about. And, and so that crown would be something we might say in, in our homes we have crown molding. That's kind of that, that that finishes it off, gives it that, that little more ornate look. So here is an artist's uh, depiction of what maybe that looked like, and you can see that crown there that, that goes around uh, that, that part of the mercy seat there uh, on the top. And so the word zir means that, that idea of that molding that, that makes it look that, that much better. Now, another word that's similar to the first one, it's got the end of it, the zir, but... Nazir means something set apart. So when this word is used, it's usually in the context of some uh, something like the priesthood, something where it is a holy, consider something holy, something uh, that has some sacredness to it, and so a dedication to the priesthood or the dedication of a Nazarite it might be used, and and so. One uh, word place you can find that is in Exodus 29 in verse six. You shall put the turban on his head. So imagine the priest. Now this is about the priest. Put the turban on the head. But what sets it off is that and put the holy crown on the turban. So there's going to be something that's going to encompass that turban to to make it um, have that designation. This is something set apart. This is something special. Is, is the idea. And so here is a, a depiction of that. We have no idea exactly what it looked like, but here's just a turban. But the way to make that really special and something of a sacred significance is to show, well, that's got a crown. That that has that, that uh, nezer uh, on that. And so as you look at a uh, pretty good depiction, I think, of the high priest garments with the breastplate and the, all of that. But What would really, I mean, when you you walk in and you've, of course, got all the other on, but you've got that turban and you don't have just an ordinary turban. It has the crown on it. So that signifies it is something special. And so it comes from the root word nazar, meaning to hold aloof from impurity, even from drinking food, more definitely to set apart for sacred purposes, to separate, devote, consecrate. And, and so that crown, you wouldn't do just anything with it. And you wouldn't let just anybody wear it. This was for the high priest to wear. This signified this person is somebody set apart, somebody who has a very sacred responsibility. And that also, you know, that it, it lets us know, oh, that's somebody I need to pay attention to because he has that crown uh, that designates more who he is. Here's another word, and this is more the word we we might think, when we think about a crown, we might think of a king, and they put the crown on the king's head. Atare uh, means a crown in just the the usual sense of that. It just comes from a word that means to encircle. And that might be used in different ways other than that physical crown on somebody's head. It might mean uh, to encircle as in war for offense or defense. But then it come to mean either actually or figuratively to crown. Like, I'm going to crown you. I'm going to crown you king. I'm placing the crown on your head. In 2 Samuel, there's an interesting story there. This is when they had besieged uh, a town and if you look at Second Samuel in chapter 12, this story is, well, right in the middle of this story, it's the story of David and Bathsheba. And, and that makes it kind of interesting that the, the timing of that because in chapter 12 and verse 26,, um, well, let me let me back up from that. Look look at uh, chapter eleven, Second Samuel eleven, and verse one. So they they are going to they besiege Rabba or Reba. Then David remained at Jerusalem. So the the army's out there fighting, and they have been really conquering the Ammonites and and the destroying cities. And this is more of a major city. So they besieged it, and Joab is is out there. Um, taking on the, the, the battle, you might say. David is in Jerusalem. He, he remained there. And while he was there, it's when he saw Bathsheba bathing on the roof. And you know, that, you know that story. But then, after all of that has happened, they're still there at that city, besieging that city, and they finally conquer the city. And so Joab sends messengers back to David. And it's like, now David, you better come on. And I can't help but wonder that they know about David and Bathsheba they know that the sin involved and and all of that and now Joab also knows that he was used he was really used for David to kill Uriah the Hittite and so anyway you just sense this uneasiness or tension I think anyway for what that's worth but Joab sent messengers in second Samuel 12 verse 27 I fought against Reba I've taken the city's water supply and now gather the rest of the people and, and camp against the city and take it lest I take the city and it be called after my name so Joab, Joab like said you better come on from Jerusalem finish the job I've I've really I've laid it out here for you and so that's what they do and then for our our Point. It's in verse 30. Then he took their king's crown from his head. It, its weight had a talent of gold, precious stones, and it was set on David's head. Also, he brought out the spoil of the city in great abundance. And, and so you can see that this was a significant thing to take that crown from the king that had it, and now we're putting it on David's head. And that represented rule, authority, um, a great accomplishment had been done. And also I sense a little tension between, uh, between David's captain there, Joab, and himself. Then another word, kether, and it means a circlet or diadem. It's from the word kether, meaning to enclose. But again, when, when you look at how that Translates into here's a person who would have a crown set on them. We had David, and now we have Vashti. Remember, remember the story in Esther. Um, Esther one. Oh, I've got that verse up here for us. But uh, to bring Queen. Remember the 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 king. He sends for his queen, and she's going to refuse to come. But what he wants her to do, to bring Queen Vashti before the king, wearing her royal crown in order to show her beauty to the people and the officials, for she was beautiful to behold. And so bring the queen now, she's got the crown. Well, when she walks in, not only is she a beautiful woman, but she walks in and she's wearing the crown. That signifies something. And that's the point that we want to see. She has that crown that the queen would wear. So she could be out in a crowd. She's got the crown on she must be somebody of significance. Look, there's, you know, she, nobody else has that, only her. Well, you know the story that Vashti is removed from being the queen, and eventually we have a new queen, Esther. And it says in chapter 2 and verse 17, The king loved Esther more than all the other women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight that all the virgins, so he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. So you can kind of imagine where the authority, the, the prestige, the influence, all that, we're taking the crown off of Vashti. Esther, now that's you. You're, you're the one. And so that signified a position, a position of importance, a position of rank. So now she is the queen. And, and we kind of imagine someone, you know, doing that and placing that crown, making it official. You are now the queen. You've got, you've got the crown. Then we come to the New Testament. In the New Testament, there are two words, two Greek words that are translated variously, as we'll see, but generally as crown. And it means a chaplet or a wreath made of leaves or leaf-like gold. And it's used for like marriages and festive occasions or some public recognition, maybe a victory in races or games or war. And so to, to set that person apart who's made that accomplishment, we put the, they, they make a wreath. Sometimes it's just, we say just, it was a great honor, but it might be some type of uh, greenery that in their day and time represented a, a, a significant accomplishment or it might literally be gold made to look like the leaves. And that would carry an even more important um, status to them. Sadly, this is the idea, the negative of it, I guess, when they were mocking Jesus. And in, that, in John 19 and verse 2, And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns, and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. That crown, the, the, it was a Stephanus a crown, and it was the one generally used to signify some great accomplishment. You had won some great victory, uh, something of that nature. Not not the, as we'll see in a minute, the crown of authority and rule, but, but again of a great accomplishment. So what do they do? They are mocking him. So they take a crown of thorns that nobody would make a crown out of. Say, this is your accomplishment. This is your victory. And put the crown on his head. And you know how they took the, the stick they had given him um, like a scepter and they beat him over the head with it. So his crown of thorns, I could imagine being beaten into a scalp. And so what was supposed to represent something of honor and glory and recognition was used to humiliate. Jesus, as they were literally having their fun with our Lord. The second word is diadema. It's the word for diadem. We, We hear that word, diadem. It's from dia, about, and dio, bound, something bound about the head. In each case, though, when the word diadem is used, it is symbolic of power or of rule. And so the two words are not used indiscriminately there's some context that would say, they would say this word or either this, this other word. So as we think about how that word is used, in uh, Revelation chapter 12, and verse 3, uh, there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. Now, that's the King James Version. If you have another version, one of the newer versions, it will probably say having seven diadems upon his head because that's, that's the correct word. It's, it is diadem. He does not have in this setting the, the crown that looks like a wreath that would be used to symbolize maybe you won the race, you've accomplished something great. All those were, were worthy things. But this diadem, is what you put on the king's head. This is what you put on the queen's head. This is what symbolizes you are a ruler, a person of authority. And then I think having seven uh, of these diadems would emphasize the maybe the length of rule or uh, the significance and power of it. Another passage is uh, Revelation 19 verse 12. His eyes were a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. So again, this is King James. It should say many diadems. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. That, but when you, when John would see the vision of this, and here someone uh, had on his head were many crowns, that represented a person of great rule and great authority and great power. From the crown of thorns that they beat on his head, to a crown, many crowns like this. Quite, quite a change uh, when Jesus ascended back to heaven. And so what we've just briefly seen then, we've, we've seen five ways, five uses of crowns in the Bible. We've seen they're used for decoration, consecration, coronation, exaltation, and reward. And so you just have to see the context to see which, which of that it might be talking about. Now, let me think we can make some application of this. And we want to make, of course, the application the Scripture makes. And so we're going to start talking to you wives. Okay, we're going to start asking wives a question here. Wives, are you a crown for your husband? When your husband, you know, comes in with you on his arm... Ah, this is my wife. I hope you mean that in the most positive way. She's my crown. And it's like, you know, we kind of want it to be like, that's your wife? (laughs) Have you seen the, uh, uh, the commercial for progressive insurance? Where Jimmy, the guy that's usually the butt of all the jokes and never does anything right, they go to his house and he has this beautiful home and they're like, Jimmy lives here, and his wife comes out, and she looks like a supermodel. Like that's your wife? <laughs> well, yeah. And in, in a way, that's that's how husbands, you know, if we would probably treat our wives more like a crown, <laughs> uh, we, we might think, you know, find that um, she even becomes more like a crown. <laughs> but that's the way scriptures would say. In Proverbs twelve, verse four. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who causes shame is like rottenness in his bones. It can go either way. And so wives, on the one hand, if if you are an excellent wife, and all the good senses of that word from being a godly woman to a faithful wife to... Um, having the qualities that the Bible would describe along that line, then then you are the crown of your husband. This is my wife. Instead of, yeah, that's my wife. Uh, Afraid so. The Bible says it can go either way, but what you want to be, you want to be the crown of your husband. Let me introduce you to my wife with just a little bit of pride maybe mixed in. What a great relationship, too, to have. But wives are spoken of. If you are an excellent wife, you are just the crown of your husband. Okay. I, I've heard, you know, stories about, uh, about hair ever since I was probably in my late 20s and started, you know, uh, some, somebody walked behind me one time, usually an uncle, an uncle is one who would do things like this. Walks behind me and, and puts his finger on, on the crown of my head as we looked at. What's that? Well, it was a bit of a bald spot there. Uh, and, and so, well, it used to joke and, and people would worry about the hair turning gray. And used to jo- joke and say, well, I'd rather it turn gray than turn loose. Uh, and the Bible, though, has some good things about the hair turning gray. And so do you wear that gray hair with pride, like a crown? Well, the Bible talks about it that way. It says the silver-haired head is a crown of glory. In the Middle East and that region of the world, an older person was was given honor. Um, You might even stand up when an older person walked in, or you make sure they had your seat. Now, you paid them respect. You didn't re- disrespect your elders the way it used to be in this country, I think more so than it is now. I thought, too, about this. If the silver-haired head is a crown of glory, I, I would say that if they had Grecian formula back then, they wouldn't use it. No, oh, no, I want my gray hair. <laughs> I want it to be showing, look, i, I worked hard to get this. <laughs> I went through a lot of birthdays to get this, raised my children, worked, did all of that. But the Bible adds a qualifier, doesn't it? If, if it is found in the way of righteousness. And so here is the picture of an older person. They have lived a good uh, life. They've, yeah, they've gotten older. Their hair has turned gray. But they are held up to say, look at that. Why well, this person has done well, They they have lived uh, a life of righteousness, if found in the way of righteousness, and they are to be looked up to. That gray hair is like a crown. And you've seen all the uses of the word crown. It was something to be crowned. Well, you've been crowned if you have have lived a good life and your hair has turned gray. So what? It's a sign that that you have done well, especially if it is found in the way of righteousness. I don't know how many here have grandchildren. But as I told somebody on Facebook yesterday, a friend of mine that I I went to high school, went to school with 12 years. And now we talk about our grandchildren. And I said, ain't they grand? She just had a a two-week-old now, and we've got about a four-month-old and and in addition to another that's four years old. And, And you come to understand what the fuss is all about. These grandchildren, uh, we just hold them up, you know, a little bit higher. You know the old saying, if we'd known all this about grandchildren, we'd have had them first, right? Um, And so how about those grandchildren? Children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of children is their father. I remember my... uh, first mother-in-law, she'd been a widow for a long time. She met a man and they, they got married and um, he had never had any children. And so he, he really just relished having grandchildren now. He, he adopted all of us. And so my, especially my youngest, who was still at home, my father-in-law, he just took him, I, I finally have a grandchild, and he'd take him everywhere. He loved to take him to the barber shop, where he always went to get his haircut, and to set Clint right there in the barber's chair and put the booster seat up there, and he'd just be beaming. Now this is his grandson, we'll get him a haircut, and uh, of course my son would eat all that up, because that meant a trip probably to the dime store somewhere uh, after that, or to McDonald's to get Ice cream, or whatever it might be, but children's children are the crown of old men. Like, look, look this is this is my grandchild, my grandson, my granddaughter, which, whichever it might be, and that just makes you just swell a little bit uh, up, up with a little bit of, of good pride. Also mentions the glory of children is their father. Hopefully, we live a life that our children can say, "That's my dad right there. That's my dad. That's my mom." And so, crown is used. Uh, in that way, those grandchildren, uh, they, they truly are the crown uh, of grandparents. Well, let me ask this now. This would apply to, I think, everybody. Are you someone else's crown? Have you ever thought about that? Are you someone else's crown? So when they see you, it's, it's bringing some recognition to them. Some honor, some glory, uh, not, not false pride, that kind of thing but something that lifts them up because here you are. Let's see how the Bible uses that idea. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 1, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. Paul was very much um, concerned That his labor not be in vain. He was very attuned to the idea that those he taught remain faithful. Because when the Lord comes back, it'd be like, Lord, look at these. Look at these in Thessalonica. Look at these in Ephesus. Look at that, you know. and, And they were like a crown to him, that they were the fruit of his labor. And he very much wanted that to be evident whenever the Lord returned. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 19, he says, After all, what gives us hope and joy? And what will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before our Lord Jesus when He returns? It is you. And so I wonder are, are you somebody else's crown? Probably, whether it's your parents or whoever taught you the truth. You, you are their crown. And remaining faithful assures the one who taught you additional rejoicing. That, that is the way the scripture uses this, this idea of wearing the crown or being the crown. Philippians 2 verse 16. Holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. And, and there's the idea. And it doesn't mention crown right there, but you see what, what Paul is thinking. Um, he wants them to be faithful, holding fast the word of life. Why? Well, their own salvation, number one, but Paul doesn't put it like that. He says, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. He has something to show for his work, for his effort. And they, his converts, the people he had taught the truth were like a crown to him when the Lord, when he would stand before the Lord and give an account for his work. But you know, whatever you feel is truly valuable um, and, and having it mean something great, that's your crown. That's your crown. Now, there are a lot of different ways that something could be perfectly fine with that. But we have to be careful what what we think is that that makes us of value that says oh look at him or her our crown they put on our head what, what is that crown now to some people it's their house um, we uh, went to see a, a family member a while back that has spent years designing this house I mean years and when they finally were getting it built it, it was just something that consumed her Every little detail. That was that house was her crown. That was what had was given her that uh, sense of accomplishment. Like the like. Remember the wreath crown. Oh, you have won the race. Put that crown on your head. And some people, it, it is their house. Some is their position. They worked hard and they've gotten that promotion. That's their crown. I'm vice president. I'm president. I'm whatever it might be. Some, it's the social circles that they run in. That, that's the thing to them that gives them that status. Some, it might be a, obtaining some political office or just their popularity or maybe the way they look. Now, you know, some people spend a lot of money to look like they look. And there's nothing wrong with trying to look your best within the confines of how God would want us to be. Can't help but think about Dolly Parton. Dolly Parton would say it cost a lot of money to look this cheap. Well, her appearance is a big deal to her, and it's important to all of us, but some go way over, and that is in their mind what gives them that, the what appearance that they're wanting. Some people are very, very vain about that. Well, whatever that is, whatever's truly valuable, and possessing it means something great. That again is your crown. In 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 25, all those who compete in the games use self-control so they can win a crown. That crown is an earthly thing that lasts only a short time. But our crown will never be destroyed. Now here's where you know, we want to switch in our mind to, to and and want and realize that. If we're not careful, we could put all of our efforts into that which is nothing. That which is going to fade away, perish. That, that crown that, that really lasts only for a short time. But Paul says, our crown, Christian, our crown will never be destroyed. Well, one thing to think about, you have a crown. <laughs> he, he says here, but our crown will never be destroyed. It's not a literal crown, but it is that which shows that we have won the race. Um, We have finished the race. We've kept the faith, as Paul would would say it. Then you think about Jesus. Jesus was exalted following his resurrection and his ascension. Uh, Interesting passages. Um, I I love to go into Daniel, I think it's chapter 7, um, where... uh, where he's presented with a kingdom uh, there, where he, he meets with the Ancient of Days. And great, great visual um, reference to Jesus ascending into heaven or um, John, when John sees Jesus in Revelation chapter 1 and sees this magnificent image and oh, just of his glory and, and, and all of that. When Jesus rose... Uh, From the dead, ascended to heaven, He was crowned. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that He, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. What Jesus did, He's raised from the dead. He ascended to heaven, but He was crowned with glory and honor. God made sure that His Son was recognized as He ascended into heaven. We see those great images for Him. And He was crowned with that glory and honor. What what a way to be crowned. Or we looked at Revelation 19, verse 12. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on His head were many crowns. Now those crowns there, again, it should be diadems. that That shows He is the ruler. He is the king. He is the conqueror, which, of course, fits Revelation, where we are more than conquerors. So Jesus received a crown. You might be somebody's crown. Will you receive a crown? Now that's important. Will you actually receive one? 2 Timothy 4 and verse 8. Finally there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. No, we won't receive a literal gold crown, something like this one. But I tell you, we, we will be recognized... And in some sense of the word, we will be crowned, but it will be a crown of righteousness, a crown of being with God and among His people. And well done, thou good and faithful servant, and all those saints that that we, the faithful, will hear one day. Uh, Let me back up a minute. Um, He says, The crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but to all who have loved his appearing. So all of us should be striving to win that race, not for the imperishable crown, but for the crown that never fades away, that never can be taken from us. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. We need to be striving for that crown, and being careful where we really have our crown, and something that really doesn't matter. First Peter 5, verse 4, and and when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. These are my people, I could hear the Lord say. And and his people are crowned, receive the crown of righteousness, the crown of life, the crown of never-ending glory and honor. No, it won't be easy, will it? I mean, obtaining a crown was never easy. Uh, Even Esther, she had to go through a lot to be crowned the queen. But those who competed in the races had to go through a lot to get that little temporary crown of of some kind of leaf that went around their head. And so obtaining a crown, no, it's not easy, but it'll be glorious. It'll be glory. It'll be well worth every effort. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. What a great crowning that will be. And then having been crowned, you will reign. Now, I don't pretend to understand all what that means. I suspect there's a lot more to eternity than we've been told about. But we're told, if we endure, we shall also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will also deny us. So there is some sense that Christians, having been crowned with glory and honor, the crown of righteousness and of life, we will reign with Him. And so, as we bring these thoughts to a close, what crown will you wear? Which one will it be? A perishable or imperishable crown? A crown of life, of righteousness, of glory? Don't trade in that gold crown. The Lord has promised to the faithful for some old rusty one that you've got to leave behind. What a great shame that would be. Let's take our psalm books and let's... Sing the song that's been selected, not knowing anybody's condition here. I don't know what any of the needs might be, but I do know this. If you're not prepared to meet the Lord, today is the day to, to make sure you are. Today is the day of salvation, whether it's to be baptized into Christ, have your sins washed away, or whether it's to, to um, repent and confess of sin, that needs to be prayed for, whatever it might be. Let it be known while we stand and sing.